Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. So what is it with these former slave states that they're all about basically trashing poor people continuously? I, 12 states, Republican-controlled states, I believe they're all former slave states. Might, might be 11, but I'm pretty sure it's 12. Uh, have refused to expand Medicaid for working poor people. Now, I get it that an awful lot of this has to do with race, that, you know, they think that this is a way of punishing poor black people or something like that. And in fact, next week, in fact, next Monday, I think probably the first hour next Monday, I want to do an extended rant about what I learned when I was researching my new book on healthcare, which is just mind blowing stuff. Um, but, you know, what is it with these? Now, now you've got Ron DeSantis down in Florida uh, denying food to hungry children. The, the, the headline by John Wright uh, over a raw story, cruel Ron DeSantis blasted for, quote, plain politics with hungry children. This is amazing. I mean, this, the, the, the Families First Coronavirus Response Act was passed while Donald Trump was president, the guy that Ron DeSantis is trying to beat for the Republican primary next time around. This was, this was, Trump's thing, and, and it allocated money, in this case, in the case of Florida, $820 million for this year. I mean, it allocated it for every year, but this year it would have been $820 million in aid to families with children, low-income families with children, that they could spend at local grocery stores and, and uh, food markets, supermarkets. And DeSantis is blocking the money. See, uh, Florida's the only state that's not taking this money. I mean, you've got 11 other states that are refusing to take Medicaid money, and it's the same thing. I mean, this, is, this happened when Rick Scott was the governor. Rick Scott, remember the guy who, who ran the hospital chain and was con his company when he was president was convicted of the largest Medicare fraud in the history of the United States? And he, the, he took the money from that company and made himself governor of Florida. Now he's the senator from Florida. And he refused, and this was during the Obamacare uh, you know, passage and, and the expansion of Medicaid, and he refused to take that Medicaid money. And we talked on this program at some length about Charlene Dill, this uh, young woman, a mother of three children, three young children, like, you know, three to eight, uh, three, six and eight or something like that. 
and a single mother. And she had, to, she had this heart medication that she had to take because she had a congenital heart condition. She was in her early 30s, as I recall, 32, 33. She was working three jobs, but she didn't make enough money to qualify for Obamacare. The threshold in Florida at that time, I think it was around 13 or $14,000, and she was making less than that in aggregate. And so she was working these three jobs. Her third job was cleaning houses. And she was out at, in the early evening cleaning somebody's house, and she fell over dead. And it turned out she'd been cutting her pills in half because she couldn't afford them. An entirely preventable death. And I've been saying for years, I've, I've written multiple op-eds about it. And in fact, there's a chapter about this in my, my book on health care. Uh, uh, you know, Rick Scott killed Charlene Dill, essentially, among others. In fact, you know, according to a study that was done by, that was published in The Lancet, the British Medical Journal, just the failure to insure for healthcare Americans has led to more American deaths than all the Americans who died in World War II. This is, and, and here's DeSantis saying, you know, hungry kids, <laughs> screw them. How does this work? How does starving people, denying them health care, how does that win you votes? I, you know, I get it that the, the, the billionaires and the, and, the, and, the, and the really, really rich people who've got the big mansions in Florida, they, they, they love this stuff. They eat it up. And they love it because this is tax dollars. And they know that the more benefits that go to average working people or poor people or, you know, fill in the blanks, you know, any, anybody who's not rich, the more their taxes are going to go up. So they're opposed to that. But that's, that's like what, 5% of your voters? People who make over 200 grand a year, 300 grand a year, 400 grand a year, maybe 1% of your voters even. How does that win you the, it's, it, it's just breathtaking. And then on top of that, you've got the Republican Party, which has basically become the party of, it's like a death cult, the, the party of COVID death. I mean, these headlines, just check out these headlines. This is from the writing newsletter uh, today. Uh, the New York Post, the headline this morning, Biden's incoherent, fear-mongering COVID vaccine speech. You got a couple of states now who are saying, you know, we're going to sue. You can't, you can't require companies to require their, their employees to be vaccinated. Well, yes, you can. And they said, we're going to sue. And, and Biden, you know, it's so funny. He says, have at it. Good luck. Come on. Bring it on, guys. But anyhow, the New York Post, uh, this is owned by Rupert Murdoch, of course, uh, who also owns Fox News. Uh, Biden's incoherent, fear-mongering COVID vac vaccine speech. The American Thinker magazine. Biden gave the most insulting and divisive presidential speech in U.S. history. <laughs> Donald Trump much? PJ Media. Biden takes his COVID tyranny to a disturbing new level. Washington Examiner. Biden's vaccine mandate is a legal mess and a logistical disaster. The lid. GOP governors take aim at angry Biden's unconstitutional vaccine mandate. American greatness. Biden's rush to bring disease and extremism to America. What? Information liberation. Biden regime orders all employers with over 100 workers to, to mandate CV shots or tests. That's not quite the regime, yeah. 
Uh, town hall. Hold Biden accountable before it's too late. And, and, and a bunch of these, you know, the, the, these right wing sites and these right wingers are, are, are going, oh, you know, uh, America has, you know, so many vaccinations and, you know, we don't we don't need more. And other countries don't mandate vaccines and other countries. Don't. Yes, other countries do. In the United States right now, this is as of these are numbers from uh, the share of people vaccinated against COVID-19 as of September 9th collated by our world and data. The United States, our percentage of fully vaccinated people right now is 62% of the population. Now that includes children, right? Because usually when they say it's 70% or 75%, they'd say of eligible people, which means people over 12. But uh, total population, 62% in the United States. What is it in, uh, in Japan? 65%. Italy, 71%. France, 72%. Canada, 73%. By the way, did you see Justin Trudeau yesterday? This is another viral thing going around where some right, right-wing right media person, he had a news conference and, and they, they were like, you know, why are you trying to block us out of the news conference? You don't, you know, and he's like, because you're not a real news organization. I'm sick and tired of you guys spreading lies and misinformation. I'm going to call you out. I'm paraphrasing wildly, but if you, if you see that video, if it goes flying by your, your social media feed, uh, listen to it. It's really, it's really worth the time. It's about two minutes long, so a little long for me to play here. Ireland, 74%. Chile, 75%. Uh, uh, China, 75%. Uh, Denmark, 76%. Uruguay, 78%. Singapore, 78%. Spain, 78%. Qatar, 79%. Um, Portugal, 86%. The United Arab Emirates, 89%. That's of all citizens which must mean that they're vaccinating kids in some of those countries. Um, and yet, we've got this death cult in the United States called the GOP that thinks that somehow the way to victory in 2022 and 2024 is to kill as many people as possible, to crash the economy, and blame it all on Democrats. I don't think it's going to stick. I, I just, I don't think people are going to blame this on the Democrats. I really don't. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Helping you win the water cooler wars. Dennis in Bergenfield, New, or Field, New Jersey. Dennis, How what's doing? up? How you doing, Tom? Good. Great points made. Uh, I'd like to ask about small businesses and the minimum wage. Um, I know you said before, you know, the game is rigged against workers, and I agree with you. Um, if we raise the minimum wage to, you know, in New Jersey, it'd probably be $17 an hour just for one person to afford a one-bedroom apartment to make it a living wage. Would you support, you know, let's say a business owner takes an income of less than 100000 a year, would you maybe see some program that could allocate tax credits to those small businesses that raise it to like $17 or 16 make it a living wage, you know, for the small business owner. Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. Um, I'm, uh, as, much, as much as I'm a fan of government regulating business in some areas, I think that probably that kind of micromanagement would be really difficult to do and could backfire. Um, the bottom line is, you know, what's a viable business model? 
And that's going to vary from place to place around the United States. Um, you know, you have to pay rent for your business. Uh, some places rent is much more expensive than other places. Um, you've got to buy your products that you're reselling, or you know, you've got raw materials costs, you've got employee costs, you've got utility costs, you've got advertising and marketing costs, uh, you've, you have insurance costs. There are all these costs that you have to deal with. And so basically, you know, for every business, the question is, is this business model of this particular business viable? And I, I don't know why, well, I do know why, actually, why uh, wages is the one piece that gets pulled out and waved around like, hey, this is the one where, you know, it's the exception. And it's obvious because, you know, companies don't want to pay decent wages and they want to, and they want to be backstopped by the government in not paying those decent wages. But I just think that for a business, you know, what I've said for years, Dennis, as I think you know, is that if you can't pay a decent wage to people, you don't have a viable business model. I think it just comes right. down to that. And if you don't have a viable business model, your business won't work, but some guy down the street might figure out how to do it. In fact, almost certainly will. So tax credits, you wouldn't really be in favor of that. I yeah, no, I, I mean, you already got tax deductions, right? Wages are 100% tax deductible. And if you're, oh. you know, and if, and if it's really whacking you and you're not making any profit, then you're not paying any income taxes. Um, uh, you know, wages um, are tax deductible. Wages are tax deductible. Yes, one hundred percent. Oh, so what's so what's their excuse then? <laughs> right, I, you, know? you know, yeah, it's it's you know, if if you've got money left over at the end of the year, you can distribute that as wages and and reduce your tax liabilities to zero. Um, and, yeah. and in fact, that's right. how most small businesses do it. Most small business owners at the end of the year will you know take out whatever's left over in order to reduce their their tax load, or they'll buy new products, or they'll upgrade their equipment, or Whatever. I mean, you know, the other other things are tax deductible as well, but um, but the idea of a tax credit that's that's where I'm uh, that's what I'm I'm pushing back against because a tax credit is where the government actually writes you a check, and and I think that that's an intervention in the marketplace that's probably a bridge too far. Dennis, good question. Thanks. Thanks for the call. One other thing, I just had another DeSantis alert, right? Uh, this is the guy who's running around going, oh, big government, we're, we're uh, you know, we hate big government. Uh, yeah, they just passed, well, actually, it just got blocked by a federal court. Um, this anti-riot law that Ron DeSantis passed, which U.S. District Judge Mark Walker, who is no you know, screaming liberal, whatever. He's just, a, you know, your regular, he's the chief U.S. district judge um, for that, that region. I, I believe that's the fourth um, in, in the Florida's part of. Anyhow, he said, this is what the judge said about this law that DeSantis has passed that would basically make it really easy to go after Black Lives Matter protests. I mean, that's why they wrote the law, right? The, the judge says its vagueness permits those in power to weaponize its enforcement against any group who wishes to express any message that the government disapproves of. While there may be some Floridians who welcome the chilling effect that this law has, depending on who is in power, next time it could be their ox who's being gored. And that's the thing that, that, that these Republicans seem to, to forget is that you know, you, you want to go all authoritarian like this, you're not going to be in power forever. 
And, you know, these are, I mean, this is, this is a constitutional republic. It's important that we, that we keep this in mind, you know, that, that future generations are going to have to deal with these things, too. So, Marie in Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, Marie, what's on your mind today? Thanks for listening to SiriusXM. Thanks for taking my call, Tom. So I'm going to try to make this really quick. My undergraduate study and my major was rhetoric and communication, theories of persuasive discourse. As part of my degree, I took a course in which we had to study the speeches of Adolf Hitler. And in that, yeah, exactly. And in the course of that study, um, it, it, two things happened, the first of which is that it solved a, a question for me that when I first learned about um, Nazi Germany and um, the, the Holocaust, I couldn't understand how an allegedly primarily Christian country that believed in the Ten Commandments, at the very least, um, could violate the Sixth Commandment, thou shalt not kill. The second thing that it did was to teach me about the rhetoric of victimization. And the rhetoric of victimization works like this. You establish a group of people known as us, right? And you define who us is in various ways. You can be very direct and say it's white males. Or you can, be, you can say it's um, a, a much, much more coded way of speaking. So you might say, you know, regular Americans, right? right? So we hear that kind of language here. And you ascribe every good thing to the group known as us. We love our country. We love our children. We care for our children. We protect rights. We protect the, the vulnerable. We say all of those things. And then you have a group that you define as them. And you can define them, again, in very direct ways. And in Hitler's way, it was much more direct. Um, as he was talking about Jews and homosexuals and um, the gypsies and several others. The communists. Um, and you, yeah. The communists, that's right. And you ascribe every bad thing to the group known as them. Right. right? And then you throw in some junk science. Right. So among the things that happened in Nazi Germany, there were studies where they had allegedly measured the skull size of Jewish men and said that because their skulls tended to be smaller, their brains were therefore smaller and they were more prone to criminal activity or they were not as intelligent. And when you couple junk science with allegations of not just not being good people, but actually being a threat to the group known as us, right? Even in criminal justice, we understand the concept of the right of self-defense. And so if you understand how the rhetoric of victimization works, it sets the group known as us up for the belief that we have a right to defend the thing we're being told is a danger to us. Yeah, you're absolutely and right. And, and, and Maria, if I can add to that real briefly, um, this is what we do in war almost 100% of the time. We otherize the people that we are going to war against. Otherwise, uh, and if we fail to do that, our soldiers won't, won't kill them. Exactly. And, and the other part to that, though, is, is it, it really disturbed me in the 2016 election cycle when well-meaning progressives would say, no, no, you can't say Nazi. You can't say Nazi. And I kept trying to explain to those around me, hey, listen, nobody's suggesting that Donald Trump was suggesting killing six million of anybody in this country. But 
he was using the tactics, the strategy, and we need to recognize that strategy when it exists. Yes. Otherwise, it gets to the point where people feel free to roam the streets and beat up the others that they think they're defending themselves against. Yeah, and that's exactly what's happening right now in the United States. It's exactly what's happening. And it's a very, very, very dangerous way to gain and, and expand political power, which is what the, what the hard right is doing right now in the United States. Marie, thank you for that. That was a very concise um, and clear, you know, very, that was brilliant. Thank you. I appreciate the call. Um, we should all, we should all know this, right? This, this should be taught in every school. That's part of our Civics Foundation. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Not just how does propaganda work, but how does otherization, which is a word I use in my rant today, actually, how does that work? Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Today we're reading from Henry Oster's book, The Kindness of the Hangman. Even in hell there is hope. He's in his 90s. He's the last survivor of the Jews of Cologne, Germany. A long time ago, I was a five-year-old German boy, Heinz Adolf Oster. I was an inquisitive, energetic little wise guy with a shock of black hair, a double dose of curiosity, and a limited ability to stand still for any length of time. One of my earliest memories is of walking on the tree-lined sidewalks of Cologne, the majestic historic German city that was my home, going out with my father to vote in the 1933 German national election. That was, of course, the election that allowed Adolf Hitler and his National Socialist Party, the Nazis, to seize power in Germany. 
I had no idea how important that day was or what that election would lead to. Nobody did, probably not even Adolf Hitler himself. But I do remember my father, Hans Isidore Oster, taking my hand as we walked out of our apartment and down the street to the boating booth. My father was tall, serious, thin, and respected. People on the street would recognize him, smile, tip their hats to him. Friends stooped down to see me, his little boy, all dressed up like little Lord Fauntleroy on our adventure to the voting booth. I remember he smoked cigarettes constantly. It seemed to make him more grand, more mature, more important. It was a rare treat going out with my dad, just the two of us. He was the manager of several small department stores, and he was usually very busy. So, as with most German children and most children in the world over at the time, I spent much more time with my mother than with my father. I remember that after we left the polling place, he took me to a confectioner's shop to get a schlangsane, a vanilla-flavored whipped cream, which was kind of like going out for ice cream today. I was very happy. It was a big day for me. I was an only child. I lived with my mother and father in this cosmopolitan, elegant city in western Germany. Cologne was known for its ancient Gothic cathedral, the Dom, its twin towers of lacework, masonry, thrusting what seemed like miles above the city. We didn't worship in the Catholic Dom, but we were first and foremost a good German family. We had no reason to feel that we were any less German than anybody else. My father was a veteran of the German army, the Wehrmacht. He had fought in the Great War, World War I, just like millions of other German men. He had been wounded in the war. He had a scar on his cheek where a piece of shrapnel had hit him during an artillery barrage. He had been awarded a medal for bravery. He had no reason not to fight for the defense of his country, right or wrong, to fight for his fatherland, like any good German. The only thing that was different about us is that we were Jewish, which at the time wasn't a big thing to me. The only way I could sense any difference between myself and the other German kids I knew was that I went with my family to synagogue every Friday night instead of going to church on Sunday. And I went to a German-Jewish school where we were taught Hebrew, among all the other usual subjects. But I had no sense that we were different, no better or worse than any other German family. It was a comfortable, normal life. I was just a restless German kid with a nice family in a busy German city. But when Hitler and the Nazis came to power, just about the time I was old enough to have any idea what was going on around me, everything started to go haywire. The first time I began to feel that there was anything wrong, my first experience of being singled out, being different, being persecuted, was my first day of school in 1934. Like every other kid who went to school for the first time, I was frightened, a little apprehensive. I was six years old now, and I was going into the unknown world, away from my mother and father for the first time, ready or not. My parents walked me to school. I was carrying, very seriously, a little leather backpack with a tiny blackboard, a piece of chalk on a string, and a sponge to use as an eraser. I was wearing knee pants, stockings, and a little hat like a beret, which identified me as a first-year student. Like all the other children, I carried a huge cardboard cone that my parents had given me. It looked like a megaphone or a dunce cap filled with all kinds of lovely things, candies and little toys. It was a German tradition to send kids off on their first day of school with this. We called it Zuckertute, or sugar cone, to help us feel more comfortable as we went into this strange new world. We weren't allowed to open them. They were tied with red cellophane in the top to keep us from getting at the goodies inside until we got home from school. It was a sort of reward, something to look forward to. Mine was almost as tall as I was, or at least that's the way it felt to me. But when we came out of school that day, holding our precious sugar cones, we were smashed by a gang of young Hitler youth, the Deutsches Jungvolk und Jungemadel. They were a big, noisy mob waiting outside on the sidewalk, boys and girls a little older than we were. They were all very proud of themselves, all dressed up like Nazi Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. We were scared to death. Some of my classmates were crying. We were little kids, just six years old. And now, after our first nervous day of school, we were being attacked by this screaming Nazi mob for no reason. My parents and all the other Jewish kids' parents were waiting outside the school to pick us up and walk us home. But there was nothing they could do to help us. They had all been shoved out of the way by the Hitler youth leaders, young toughs in their teens and twenties. 
I remember looking up and seeing a sea of uniforms and angry faces. The people were yelling and taunting at us. These furious kids with their Nazi neckerchiefs all with the same swastika slides at their throats. The boys had daggers on their belts. They were just kids, 10 to 14 years old, but they each had their little Nazi knives. In the background, we could see the brown shirt Nazi organizers and the proud parents of the Hitler Youth standing with their arms crossed. They were obviously enjoying this, watching their children, showing the little Jewish kids who's who and what's what. The kids threw rocks at us. They hit us with sticks. We were all forced to run this gauntlet to escape, to get through to our parents and to safety. The Hitler Youth paid special attention to attacking our Zuckertuten. They bashed at them with their sticks, trying to knock them out of their hands. And when one broke open, they all scrambled on the ground to steal our candies and toys. Eventually, a couple of Cologne City policemen who were not even necessarily Nazis then, showed up and stopped the attack, giving me and the other Jewish kids enough time to get to our parents. The Kindness of the Hangman by Henry Oster. Kenyatta in Los Angeles. Hey, Kenyatta, what's on your mind today? I wanted to mention my concern over what appears to be an apartheid state within an apartheid state. And... uh, I don't know if you're seeing the same thing through your lens in this life and in the society that I am, but as a black man in the United States for a little bit more than half a century, I have lived with apartheid. Now, you know, I know that there are some European Americans that will take offense to that. They take offense to being called European Americans. They have no problem hyphenating everyone else. But there are European Americans that would take offense to me using that term. So to substantiate my claim that this is an apartheid state, all you need to do is look at your own statistics. Uh, At the top of any negative socioeconomic uh, statistics, let's take uh, incarceration, black people are at the top. Teen pregnancy, black people are at the top. Negative health outcomes, black people are at the top. But if you look at any of the positive socioeconomic indicators, uh, housing, uh, familial wealth, I could go on and on. Black people are at the bottom. So that, I think, substantiates that this is an apartheid state. But what is fascinating now is that you have an apartheid state within that apartheid state. And I mean, you were talking about it earlier. You were talking about violence and, 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 and you know, how the Republicans are doing certain things in terms of violence. But I can tell you that um, I think I mentioned this to you a couple of months ago. I was at a windshield shop recently, and there was a guy that had a Trump sticker on his car. And I mean, this thing had they had busted out all the windows. Now, listen, uh, Donald Trump's an idiot and a racist Canine. But the point is, is that this is happening all over. Then you've got vaxxers and anti vaxxers and people wearing masks and don't wear masks. I heard in a venue that you are very familiar with, I won't say which, someone say the other day, who's a dyed in the wool, quote unquote, progressive European American, say that uh, there should be no reparations for black people unless they get vaccinated? Well, there are no reparations for black people anyway. So what my question is to you is, where is this going? Because I'm certainly not the the sharpest knife in the drawer. I'm probably the sharpest among the dull ones. But I'd like to know, what is the point? There are people running this country a lot smarter than I am, Tom. What, what, What is the purpose of all of this division? What happened to United We Stand, the United States? What's going on? 
do well, you know? As, as you know, Kenyatta, and I, I'm, I'm guessing that a certain amount of your question is rhetorical, um, we have never been a united United States. We have always been an apartheid state. Um, and, and most of that apartheidness has been enforced uh, for, you know, for the first several hundred years by uh, just uh, visible physical violence and threats of physical violence. And now, uh, you know, it's more economic violence and, and, and uh, you know, more subtle forms of violence. But the, the result is the same, as you point out. You just look at your mortality statistics and morbidity statistics. Um, so, you know, it, it, I, I think the arc, you know, it, it, to badly paraphrase Martin Luther King, um, the arc of history is moving toward justice. I think we're moving in a good direction, or at least we were until 2016. And, and maybe this is a wake-up call to, to move back. The, the, so with regard to, you know, because I completely agree with you on your, this is an apartheid state and here's the prima facie, you know, right on the face, here's the evidence of it. Um, that, that said, my opening rant about violence in a society being an indication that a society is turning more authoritarian, yeah, that happens on both sides. And uh, although typically it's the right that is driving the violence, and, uh, but at, what happens, it, there's a, uh, I, I believe it was Winston Churchill. Um, no, it was Frank Rizzo, <laughs> the, the old mayor of Philadelphia. Oh my God. Who, yeah, <laughs> who said, <laughs> a, he, he, said, he said, a liberal is a, uh, is a conservative who's never been mugged. And, <laughs> and, and That's hilarious. Yeah, well, I, I mean, you know this. I mean, you know, when people have become victims of crime, they, they tend to shift a little to the right, as it were. And when society feels victimized by crime, society gets a whole lot more brutal. And that is so true, Tom, because I have in my life uh, been victimized by all types of crime. And, um, you know, and, I, and that's why I cannot uh, adhere to any uh, political party. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I have to, I have to, being the person I am, I have to look at the evidence on the ground. Uh, and there are, you know, when I, I hear people talk about Black Lives Matter, um, I, I happen to not be a supporter of Black Lives Matter. And I think you know me well enough to know that there's no one as black as I. I just simply don't find that their agenda uh, is legitimate. Uh, there have been black men since Joe Biden came into office that have been killed by the police. That never stopped. But all of a sudden, BLM is quiet. What happened? Yeah, I don't know. What happened? But, no, I understand. To the point of society becoming more brutal, and I, you know, and I, and I think that 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 is the the thing that is concerning me, and I think it's the thing that, at least peripherally, but I I, I suspect directly, you're speaking of, um, you know, this the, the all of this um, societal violence that seems to be the result uh, over the short term, anyway, of Donald Trump, uh, you know, with his racist and violent rhetoric. In many ways, well, he, just, ripped, he ripped the scab off, Tom. Yeah, I was just going to say, in many ways, we're just revisiting what America was like for black people in the 1920s, you know, or in the 1940s, or, you know, particularly after Brown, um, you know, with, with that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, where, where do we go with this? Well, I, I am hopeful that we can pull back from the edge, because I think we are on the edge right now, Kenyatta. I really do. I, 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 you know something? It's funny, because, as you know, there are all of these... Uh, you know, memorials in the mainstream media with, mm -hmm. you know, 9-11, 20th anniversary. Yeah. Um, 
and, and I got to tell you something. And, and you spoke on it yesterday on your program about how Americans, when uh, Americans have come together, and mainly all of your examples were war. Not to say they were inaccurate; they were quite accurate. Sure. And and here's the sad part about it: I think it's going to take something very, very terrible for people to wake up. They're not. They're not well, as woke as they I, think I, they are. I think that that something very, very terrible is here. Part of it is the pandemic. Part of it is is the the, the rise of of Trumpism, of of neo fascism in America. The explicit, open, uh, accepted rise of it in large, you know, in, in and the takeover of a major political party. I think this is a crisis that is uh, historic. And but Tom, there will be blood. What what has the United States ever accomplished domestically or internationally without bloodshed? Tell me, please. Well, you know, we passed Medicare without bloodshed. We passed Social Security without bloodshed. We put the we got the country out of the Great Depression without bloodshed. You could argue that World War II helped get us out of the Great Depression, but that came, you know, eight years. But we down haven't. The road. But we, we we're still dealing with with the abortion issue, and that was a lot of bloodshed there. We're still dealing this half a, a century later. Yeah, we're we still resort dealing to violence, with but that's, that's true all over the world, Kenya. This, I mean, I think at a certain level, that's the human condition, is that, you know, yeah. as, as the caller before was talking about, you know, if you can create an other, if you can create an us and a them, then, yep. then your, your justification for trashing the them is self-defense, which is something even children understand. And, I agree. You know, and is wired into us. And so, you know, uh, the, I, I think the best way that we get past this and, and, I, and frankly, I think that the Democratic Party is, uh, to some extent, doing a pretty good job with this in the Biden administration, is by trying to pull us together, to, to emphasize the we in we the people, the, the, you know, the us in, in, in all of us together. Uh, and, and, of course, the Republican Party is trying to do the exact opposite. They're trying to tear us apart. And well, I wish us luck, Tom. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that will be our thought. Uh, Kenyatta, thank you. It's always nice to hear from you. Bye-bye. Yeah, good talking with you. This is the place where despair is not an option. I'm actually, you know, I keep pointing out things that I think are problematic and troublesome, but I'm actually very optimistic right now. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. We're getting a pandemic under control. We're dealing honestly, I think in many ways, with, with racial and religious bigotry. I'm, I'm, an, I'm an optimist. Bob in, uh, is it L.I. or Ellie, Nevada? E- Ely, E-L-Y. Ely. Oh, okay. Yeah. Ely. So what's up, Bob? Well, I have an idea to get more people vaccinated uh, with our screwy health system that we have, which you've written about, um, you know, for profit. Um, they love to deny claims, the insurance companies. And um, why not... Um, basically deny coverage for unvaccinated um, patients that go into the hospital, into ICUs. Um, it seems like a lot of people would uh, start getting vaccinated. Uh, you know, we had a caller last week whose company, uh, who, who worked in a company and, and dealt with the, the insurance policies for the company, and uh-huh. uh, said that the, the documents that they got about what was coming down the road for their employees' uh, health insurance was going to include mm-hmm. some sort of an exclusion that was like, could be interpreted as that, um, uh, right. you know, that had to do with, quote, infectious diseases. 
Uh, I think that, Bob, you're going to see that. I think you're going to see that within the next month or so now that this employer mandate is in place. So, right. I hope they start pushing that. And then the same with hospitals is hospitals could low prioritize um, ICU patients that come in that are unvaccinated also, you know, give people with heart attacks and car accidents high priority and yeah. you know, things yeah. like that. Right now they're they're doing uh, hospitals are doing the traditional triage uh you know, protocol, which is, you know, you, you give the most attention to the people who have the greatest probability of surviving and need right. the most immediate services. And, I, you know, it's hard yeah. not to go along with that, particularly keeping in mind that, um, you know, it's not that red counties or red states are filled with people who are like genetically stupid or, or you know, uh, or predisposed to be you know, asses or idiots. It's that they are the victims of lies that are being told to them by 15,000 right-wing radio stations mm -hmm. across this country, by Fox Plenty News. Global people. Yeah, I, you know, it's, it, it, it's it, I, you know, in their defense, it's not always their fault. I, I get it that there are a few no. of them and, you know, some of my colleagues, I mean, three of my colleagues, right-wing talk show hosts have died of COVID. Um, uh, you know, and I get it that there are there are people who are spreading lies and misinformation enthusiastically and in some cases making big bucks spreading them. And I have no sympathy for those people. But for right. the average person who's just been reading this stuff on Facebook and thinking, may I, uh, may, you know, I don't want to turn magnet magnetic, I, you know, and, and then they end up in the hospital. I don't think that person should be punished. Yeah, I can agree. But at the same time, I think the threat would uh, maybe get more people to vaccinate. <laughs> it could be. I, my guess is that they would never know about it, that they wouldn't learn about it. That, that yeah, it'd have to be highly publicized. Oh, it'd have to be hugely publicized because, I mean, we're talking about people who live in such information bubbles that they don't know, you know, the, the basic science of COVID. They don't, they, you know, they, they're not getting the... The, the, the foundational, the fundamental information, you know, the fact that, I mean, the CDC just came out today and what, you're 11 times more likely to be hospitalized if you're unvaccinated. You know, that, that's 1,100% right. more likely. Right. Um, yeah, it, yeah it, but they don't hear it, like you say. Yeah, yeah, so, you know, we've got, I think we've got to figure out a way to get that out. But I, I understand your sentiment, and I think that the uh, health insurance companies are probably going to be all over this. Bob, thanks yeah, a lot. They love not paying. Thank you. Yeah, good talking to you. We're here on the Tom Hartman program, speaking the truth to the multinational corporations we really rarely didn't know all about. Stick around. Jessica in Chicago. Hey, Jessica, thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. When I lost my faith in humanity last week, your show on Wednesday stopped me from crying. Um, you are so intelligent and such an honorable man, uh, man, and your men who called in stood up for women's rights, and that helped me. Um, this Texas governor, rabid Abbott, and his repulsive, ancient white Republicans who think they can control the lives, who lives and who dies from COVID are wrong. And the Republicans can't stop this vaccination now. Um, I'm so proud of our compassionate President Biden. We're going to be vaccinated now. And um, one thing about, <laughs> sorry, I'm going so fast. That's okay, um, Jessica. Take take a breath. It's it's all good. We've got a, we got a minute. We actually have two minutes. So. Uh -oh. And you can't force births 
on rape victims and births of babies from incest. Who, uh, the babies will have defor- deformities. When I went and I was in Florida at the Hemingway house, the the cats that were interbred, they had seven toes. Right. You can't do that. Right. And the rapists, they have violent gene pools. You can't, they're not supposed to be born. And this Texas is this is the state with the most rape cases in our country. Texas had over 14,824 rapes last year. And, and that's Texas, reported rapes, which is estimated to be about 6% of all actual rapes. Yes. And Texas has 6,000 cold case rapes. Yeah. So here's the good one. I'm calling for Governor Rabbit Abbott to put 6,000 rapists in handcuffs. The evil Governor Rabbit Abbott needs to deal with his rape cases before he makes women give birth to these violent rapist fathers. You know, there have been a series of, of news stories. I haven't seen one in a year or two, so maybe maybe they've cleaned this up. But a, a couple of years ago, one of the big scandals that kept engulfing police department after police department, and in, in, particularly in big cities, um, was that there were these one, two, three-year-long backlogs of rape DNA kits you know, where they, they take the, the, the DNA the, from rape victims, the swabs and whatnot, that had literally not even yet been processed so that the DNA of the rapist was not yet in the system so they couldn't, you know, go ahead and identify the person. They couldn't begin any kind of investigation or prosecution. Do you know if that is still the case in Texas or to what extent that yeah. is the case? Yeah. You seem yeah. to be uh, knowledgeable about the Texas Rabbit. statistics. Yes, that's what Rabbit Abbott has. He hasn't dealt with, he's eliminating rape. Well, he's never dealt with it at all. So he's got over 6,000 rape kits that haven't been processed yet? Is that what you're saying? cases, yes. Wow. Wow. And I want them in handcuffs. Come on, deal with your problem before you force women to have these children from rapists. Uh, Yeah, Jessica, you said it very, very well. I couldn't have said it better. Thank you so much for the call. It's great talking with you. And, And thanks for your kind words on the show on Wednesday. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Pete in San Bernardino. Hey, Pete, what's up? Hi, Tom. Hey, Pete. Hey, I just finished reading your uh, ancient sunlight book. Oh, amazing! Amazing! Thank I was, you. I was so, I was so eye-opening. But what I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah, I live here in San Bernardino, and the fires that have been burning through all of California. The fires have been burning in the canopies. It's been burning the canopies, and it led me to think that maybe it had something to do with the strain that the government has been doing for years. They call them for seeding the clouds for rain. Well, there hasn't been any rain. Yeah. But I think that stuff that they've been spraying has. I don't. I don't think they've been spraying any stuff, Pete. I mean, they used to spray DDT back in you know when I was a kid, back in the '60s, but uh, they quit oh, doing yeah. that. We used to spray it in our face when we were working out in the fields and yeah. at the labor camps. But that doesn't explain what the government is spraying over us continuously, continuously. And I think that's what's causing the fires. Uh, yeah. So I, you know, I know that they, I know that they drop fire retardant. Uh, you know, when when fires are happening, but that's not what I'm talking about, Tom. I'm talking about the. Con, the chemical, the the chemical trails. They're not condensation trails, and they're not. Seeding. Oh, you're talking. Oh, okay. Uh, Pete, you've been you, you've been sucked in by an internet conspiracy theory that's simply not true. Um, those those vapor trails that you see up in the upper atmosphere actually are just that. They're just vapor trails. Uh, they're not adding no. chemicals to no. jet fuel so that you know jet airplanes are poisoning us all or anything like that. Pete, I'm going to move along. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just not going to. There, there are some things I won't debate. That's one of them, uh, because it's just BS. Uh, you know, and not to say, Pete, that you are, but that what you are believing is, and, and you need to check your facts. Uh, Ralph in Portland. Hey, Ralph, what's up? Well, hello, Tom. I'm, I wanted to comment on what you said earlier about uh, Trumpism, and I think its birth was when our nation started, because we were birthed into compromising, said slavery. And that divider was a poison in the body, just I agree. like uh, an infection of bacteria. I agree. And it, it, it metastasized during the industrial age. We had bank runs. Labor uh, labor was repressed so badly. There were riots and a lot of a lot of death. And you had General Smedley Butler being trying to be conned into doing a coup. You know, you you've talked about that at great length. Mm -hmm. But it's it's this division of the haves and the have-nots. And, it, and in the 50s and 60s, television media just really impacted all of us in our consciousness about how we're supposed to be instead of being who we are. So there was that false division. There was white neighborhoods. I, I remember so much about the redlining. I, I kind of experienced from a distance. And that was very sobering. I went to Vietnam. I came out of that. The nation was blown apart. And you've mentioned the Heritage Foundation at length over time for the kind of strategies they came up with to deal with their base and to 
Right. Basically, Ralph, your, your phone is flipping in and out. Can, can you get right to the point, please? You know, basically, it's just to say it's, it's Trumpism is, is, a, is a symptom. And he has, he's kind of like the cancer that's finally showed itself. Ah. But it's been, been there for years. Yeah. Yeah, and good point. So re-education, I think you've talked about that at great length about how America has been, if you will, dumbed down for uh, decades. Yeah. And uh, it's sadly, we're seeing the results of poor education and the manipulation of media in yeah. dark times. And, yeah, know, and we're seeing it and we're seeing it writ large across the Republican Party. Ralph, thank you for the call. Jeff in San Francisco. Hey, Jeff, what's on your mind today? I just want to, if we could get something clear, that ivermectin actually won a Nobel Prize, and it's okay for people to take as well. It's not a cure, granted, for um, COVID. No, if you've got and, hookworm you know, or pinworm or, or uh, river blindness uh, worms, uh, ivermectin is the thing to take. But if you've got COVID, uh, you need monoclonal right. antibodies. Yeah, but we need to tell the whole truth, you know. I mean, it's just like that. Well, as isn't far that the truth? Also, what's what's, what's yeah, not truth I mean, about what I just said? Like, I mean, they're not really spilling out, oh, yes, this is, you know, they're saying, oh, Joe Rogan's taking a horse dewormer. Yes, it's he a is. horse dewormer. Yes, I know, but it's also for people as well, you know. Well, yeah, it's people dewormer, too, so, but the thing is that most of the people who are buying it, because doctors don't write prescriptions for ivermectin when you've got COVID, so the way that people are getting it is they're getting it from veterinary supply stores and on the Internet. Yes, I, I understand. And so they're getting I, the horse formulations, and that's the problem with the overdoses is, you know, a horse weighs 2,000 pounds and you don't. Correct, correct. You know, I'm, I'm just, just saying that, you know, we need to tell the whole truth. You know, it would take on both sides of the aisle. I mean, when, when the Democrats do something that's not quite right, we need to take them There's on no as well. There's no two sides we need to ivermectin. It's great for parasites. It's it doesn't do anything for COVID. Uh, yeah, I'm saying, it, but to, to spell the the whole story out, you know, and just how is that not the whole story? That, well, one other story that's been going out about the the uh, the down there that the ER rooms are full. That that's that was debunked. And, uh, the story that the ER, the ER rooms were full from ivermectin. Yes, that was that was false. But the ER, ER rooms are full here in in, uh, in Oregon. We were at seven percent a couple of days ago. We were at nine percent. I think yesterday, the day before, uh, capacity with our ICUs. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm and, I'm on, and, that, I'm with and that's you with having shut down all of our all of our elective surgeries. Or most. Right, of I understand. Yeah, I, but I'm just I don't want to give the right-wingers more ammo at all, any ammo at all. And I think they do get some ammo when we don't take on the people in our own party. I'm, I was taking on the press there a little bit yeah. on CNN. I, I don't feel the need to just gratuitously go after liberals so that I, I seem balanced. Uh, you know, thanks for the call. Joel in Portland. Hey, Joel, what's up? Hey, Tom. Um, I've, been, I've noticed uh, during the uh, program today you've asked a couple times, like, why Greg, Greg Abbott and Ron DeSantis are making these seemingly insane choices around yeah. COVID yeah. Uh, that will also just kill their base. Um, also, uh, so I mean, I think that's all about them playing the long game for the ruling class, basically. Like, I don't think they care if they kill their base. They just want to kill a lot of poor people. Hmm. Um, 
Because or, those you know, poor people are, are getting welfare, which is paid for with taxes, paid for by rich people. And, and that's part of it. But I just don't think that, like, you're viewing it a lot from this lens of they also have a goal of democracy, which I don't think they have a goal. They're oh, not, like, they make these I they agree with you, Joe. I, yeah, I don't think these guys believe in democracy. That can, be used, that can be used against them. Right. But they don't plan on losing. Right. No, they're trying. They're doing everything they can to rig the game right now. I mean, that's what these uh, these so-called voter integrity laws are all about, is literally rigging the game. Um, you know, uh, Joel, thank you. Spot on. We'll be right back. And welcome back. Brian in Dubuque, Iowa. Hey, Brian, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. Um, so I just have a couple of ideas. Um, one that I think should happen, and then the other one is just an idea, and I don't know if it's feasible. Uh, but uh, um, a universal basic income um, of $2,000 a month for everyone 18 years or older mm-hmm. would end poverty overnight, would end homelessness overnight, would bring down the crime rate dramatically and it would improve mental health dramatically and my other idea is well before you go on let me just say i do not disagree with you i agree with you brian um i'm not sure that two thousand dollars a month is the exact sweet spot number i don't frankly don't know what it is um and it's fascinating to see the experiments that are going on tom tom two thousand dollars a month is if poverty for an indiv- single individual is at 17500 a month, then 24000 a year would be that much more than just above poverty, which I don't think is that much more above poverty. Right. Get it. And then, my, get it. Second, and then my second idea would be, and this is sort of way out there, is um, you have the government pay the salaries of people who work and you make it that people only have to work 16 hours a week to earn $35,000 a year. And for every 16 hours you work, more than, you know, if you work twice that much, then you would get $70,000 a year. And then you could tax the business owners more because they wouldn't be having to pay the salaries. The government would do that. But you would have it that, the, you know, the, the, the business owners would still own their businesses. And maybe you give them five years to prove that they're a viable business and they're not hurting the environment or people, and then the government takes over the payment. And if you're a doctor, a brain surgeon, then you set the limit for what they get paid at, let, let's say, 600000 a year or 300000 a year. Or, you know. Yeah. So those are my ideas. Okay. And Brian. Uh, I love you guys. I love you guys. Okay. Thanks a lot, Brian. Great to hear <laughs> from you. you. Okay, you, you, you got those ideas out there in the ether. We can discuss them. Eric, Eric in Erie, Pennsylvania. Hey, Eric, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom, just a thought for going into next week and the big, uh, you know, rave up cross burning gathering on the 18th in Washington. Right. Um, I don't, I don't know if you're seeing it. I'm seeing it a lot. It tweets and Facebook and T-shirts and banners. Seventeen seventy-six. Right. Have, have you caught you caught your share of that? I have not, but I, I, I'll take your word for it. Makes sense. They're, yeah, they I'm, like I'm using seeing. rebellion metaphors. Yeah, and the problem with these folks shouting it all for the you know the Trumper side of things, uh, these folks need to be reminded. Everyone, it's incumbent upon you to say, okay, well, great for you, 1776er. Um, you realize you're shouting to support 
a, a sovereign individual who's beyond the reach of courts and legislatures. So that's great if you're for 1776, but you realize you're on the British side, the tyranny side. That's what you're cheering for. There you go. So there you go. Remind yeah. them. Yeah, they're uh, just like yeah. you know with the Confederate statues. You're on the wrong side. <laughs> well yeah, said, they're, Eric. They're, Eric, I gotta so run, powerful. but thank. Yeah, thank you very much, Sharon in Hampton, Virginia. Hey, Sharon, what's on your mind? Uh, hey, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I just have a question, and I figured you were the right person to ask. So, I wanted to know what is the major difference, if any, between. What happened with the Kurds? I guess it was Syria under the Trump administration. Mm -hmm. When Trump pulled out and left the Kurds that helped the Americans to their own devices without bringing any of them out. And all the flack that the Biden administration is now receiving for the Afghans who helped help the Americans about trying to get every last one of them out. It is a massive double standard, Sharon, and that's brilliant for you to uh, to, to tie those two things together because... Donald Trump stabbed the Kurds in the back. The Kurds were our allies in, 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 in a lot of areas and a lot of regions. And the Kurds have been on the short end of the stick ever since World War I, uh, you know, when, when what could have and should have been Kurdistan got divided up among Syria and Iran and Turkey and, uh, and Afghanistan, I guess. I'd have to look at a map. But when Trump pulled out, I mean, the Kurds were massacred. I mean, it wasn't just that, yeah. you know, he left them. They were massacred. And, you know, we've seen nothing like that coming out of uh, the withdrawal from Afghanistan. I mean, it's been, you know, somewhat messy, but it's not possible, I don't think, to end a war without it being messy. I have heard one pundit talk about that. I'm not understanding why nobody's making those comparisons. Well, I think the media generally doesn't like to trash talk Donald Trump. I haven't been able to figure out why. Maybe it's uh, because they do talk about, you know, when he says absurd things, he gets lots of publicity. So, you know, and they have no problem giving him publicity, but they seem to be reluctant to point out the failures of the Trump administration. And that was uh, that wasn't just a failure. That was a betrayal of a strategic ally of uh, of people that we had worked with, people who had trusted us, people that we had supported against uh, Bashir, you know, in, in Syria, people that we had tr tried to protect from Turkey, from uh, Erdogan. Erdogan also was slaughtering the Kurds. In fact, he was the major one slaughtering the Kurds as a result of what Trump did. I think Trump stabbed the Kurds in the back because Erdogan threatened his hotels, frankly. Sharon, I gotta run. Thank you, thank you so much for the call. Hey, special thanks to Louise Hartman, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Jamie Holly, Joyce the Hammer, Nance, Nigel Peacock, Sue Nethercutt, Patrick White, Geraldine Halbert, Ron Hartenbaum, Chase Plus, Nicholas Miller, Pat Sweeney, Jabbermocky, Jay LeBlanc, Connor Arroyo and Carne Verde, the folks who work on this show. Thank you. And thank you to you for listening, watching, participating, and reaching out to our sponsors and our stations and giving them a tip of the hat. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.